start by talking about a verse which I think helps us understand what a book like Daniel is about. It's what is an apocalyptic book about? I think there's an incident in 2 Kings chapter 6 which helps us see what's happening when we look at an apocalyptic situation. So here's the situation. Elisha's servant wakes up in a city and he looks out uh, and you see, uh, if you can't see that, he's there on the city and these are all these armies outside. There's all these armies gathered against the city. And so it's when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. That's a pretty worrying sort of thing. And they're not his friends, they're his enemies. Uh, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. So he's panicking because there's all these armies out there. Uh, and then Eli- Elisha doesn't seem to be concerned about all this. He's there kind of cool as a cucumber. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha's servant's thinking, are you serious? There are none who are with us. And I can see all of those out there who are with them. And yet he's saying, no, it's okay. It's cool. There's more with us. And what happens here is it's like a curtain is taken away and you get to see behind the scenes of what's actually happening, if you like, in heaven or in the spiritual world. <clears throat> so this happens. <clears throat> Something is now seen. Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Elisha could already see that. And Elisha said, open his eyes. And now he sees all of these things. The Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He can see something now that he couldn't see before. And all of a sudden, the fear and the trepidation and the, the, the stress that he was under because of this army diminishes. Because there are, he knows now there are more with him than there are against him. It's like the curtain has been taken back and he can now see reality as it is from God's perspective. Whereas before, all he could see was his circumstance. The armies were right against him. And now he can see, well, actually, no, God's got this. He's got it sorted. And that's what happens when we read apocalyptic literature. The curtain is taken back and we get to see things from a different perspective, from a heavenly viewpoint. There may be armies around, there may be difficulties and troubles, but you realize that God is actually in control. He has his armies out there. It's cool. He's got this. God may not remove the problems. See, the problems don't go away. The army is not removed. But you realize there is another army. God has his forces at work. He's in control. You might not be comfortable, but God is actually in control. He will save those who trust in him. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. That's me now, and arrayed against me. <coughs> a few years ago, 2014... How can you compete with that? <laughs> 2014, I got really concerned about the idea that there was a high court challenge against chaplaincy in Australia. Uh, so there's all these people saying, we don't like chaplaincy because it's like a Christian type thing. And there was a high court challenge and all these people were, were concerned about it. And I'm, I'm like Elijah, Elisha 7, I'm all distressed by this. 
And so I had a chat to somebody who was an advocate for chaplaincy. And I said, look at all that, all that problem out there. And this person, she's saying, I'm not really stressed about it. And I'm thinking, how can you not be stressed? Uh, you know, there's a real threat going on. And she started to tell me how God was rolling out chaplaincy, not only in high schools, but in primary schools. There were so many positions available, couldn't even fill the positions. God was up to something, despite all that was going on. And uh, for her... She was able to see that God had this. It was all cool. And once I saw that, I thought, well, actually, it's not that big a problem. God is at work. It's easy to forget the fact that God is at work. <clears throat> so let's dive into um, Daniel chapter 7. So this is Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my visions by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts come up out of the sea, different from one another. Can you imagine if Scott Morrison tomorrow said, I'm going to do my economic policy on the basis of a dream I had last night? Imagine what would be printed in the paper the next morning. In our society, we don't give credence to this sort of stuff. We don't give credence to dreams. We are logical. We want economic theory and all of that. But in this society, if you have a dream, that actually gives you credential. This is real because it actually comes from the heavens. So apocalyptic dreams actually carry weight with people, whereas we kind of think it's a bit of a joke. <coughs> uh, so let's talk about these beasts. Beasts are a common feature. We're going to talk about beasts. Another way of translating is maybe a monster, <laughs> a creature. So we're going to talk about uh, the beasts. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told, arise and devour much flesh. So you're getting this unfolding of these images of these beasts. Each one has particular characteristics, which kind of you can identify uh, as you go through. Let's go to the third one. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. So this pattern, three beasts and then a fourth horrible monster. It's a familiar pattern in uh, apocalyptic literature. Let's look at those beasts. Here they are. Oh, here's an artist's representation of them. <laughs> so you have the lion, the bear, the leopard, and then the horror, horrible beast at the end. And most commentators will say that they represent the same empire as that was represented in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar earlier in Daniel. Babylon, the Medes and Persians, Greece, and finally Rome. A series of empires that will rule the world. And will dominate God's people. You know, the book of Daniel marks a turning point in history. In the Bible, up until this point, it's been about the story of Abraham and how God is going to create a nation, uh, a land and a people. Uh, but in Daniel, all of that's been lost because Jerusalem's been destroyed. They've lost the land. They've lost the temple. They've lost everything. And all of a sudden, you've got to enter this new time of history. And you realize the vision of these beasts, which comes from God, 
uh, God's purposes, the Abrahamic story, this is not going to be realized at least for a very long time. Who's going to be in charge over the next several hundred years? These beasts, these empires are going to be running the world. God's people aren't going to be running the world. The beasts are going to be in charge. Being faithful to God doesn't at this stage mean that you're going to control the world. It means that others will be in control and you're going to be pushed around by these creatures living with someone else in charge. Now, can the world be controlled by pagan leaders and God still be on the throne? God is still on the throne with all of these things happening. Uh, Do God's people have to control the political agenda to be faithful to God? No. These beasts are in control. The visions show us that someone else can be in charge, someone else can be running the show, and yet God is still on the throne. God is still in control. God knows these empires are coming. He maintains sovereignty over them. God's people don't have to be in control in history. Sometimes they're pushed around by these empires. In fact, sometimes being faithful means saying, we're not in control. We have to let go of that. Somebody else is running the show. We actually have to stand against the forces of empire. The the apocalyptic literature, Daniel, the book of Revelation, and some other parts of the Bible, introduces us to a different type of hope. It's not that God is going to bless your nation, give you prosperity and, gr- and guarantee that you're blessed in this life. But that there will be difficult times. There will be nations who are ruling the world. There are beasts out there. Uh, God's standards are going to be trashed. And even with all that happening, God is still in control. Let's have a look at this uh, fourth beast. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn there were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Very often in these apocalyptic visions, you have these series of empires, and the last one is horrendous. It's like there's a culmination of all the evil or all the human powers against God and very often there is a human component and it's boasting speaking proud things it seemed to be like a leader who is arrogant who takes authority uh, and brings blasphemy and arrogance to unprecedented levels has it ever perplexed you that God allows people to do that sort of thing he allows them to boast he allows them to do terrible things but he doesn't allow it to go on forever. He draws a limit. Let's see what happens to the boastful horn. Uh, And so this is getting into a different part of the book now. You have this vision of the beasts, and then you have this vision. What is God up to while those beasts are doing their thing? I looked. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was like white was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. Perspective is now different. This is not about the beast now. This is about what God is up to. This is what takes place in heaven, not disconnected from the earth. 
this is the army of the chariots of fire. This is what's going on behind the scenes. We got with God in control. And this is what's happening at that throne. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Everything and everyone, even the beasts and the empires, are accountable to God. They stand before God. This image of heaven is bigger and more powerful than all the images of the beast combined. It's a courtroom. There's an accountability happening. And books are going to be opened. People will not get away with anything. Accountability will come. Whatever happens on this earth, challenges to chaplaincy, changes to gender or marriage realities, lying, cheating, stealing, wars, rumors of wars, persecution of Christians, these may happen, we may feel terribly disturbed by it and wonder how God could allow these things. But ultimately know this, God is in control. He will bring all things to account. The beasts have their time on the earth, but ultimately, God brings that to a conclusion. There might be terrible empires and rulers. God will outlast them. He is not threatened by them. He is not afraid of them. If we can see this vision of God, a river of fire, a hundred million before him, an uncountable crowd. He's the judge of all. It will help us when things are difficult not to be disturbed, not to be overwhelmed, even if we are losing our privileges, even if we are losing our freedom, even if we are losing our lives. God is still in control. The picture... The armies may be arrayed. Don't forget what God is doing. Don't forget who God is. We may seem to be overwhelmed. The Ancient of Days is still on the throne. 10,000 times 10,000 stand before him. He's unassailable in majesty and glory and authority. The books have been written. They will be opened. And everyone, including the beasts, will be brought to account. Daniel's response, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me and no wonder. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. The beasts may run the world, but they will not last forever. Their power is limited in time and in scope. Eventually, the saints of the Most High will inherit the kingdom. He will have the victory, and they will possess it forever. Let's carry forward that thinking to the world of today. Who are the beasts? Who are the world empires? Who are the rulers of this world? Now, it might, might seem a bit harsh to count some of these people as beasts. 
but the Bible consistently portrays the nations in this way uh, and the empires they create, particularly as they grow in power. The apocalyptic literature warns us, be wary of identifying any nation or kingdom as God's holy chosen ones on the earth. God allows the nations a great degree of freedom, but the nations tend to usurp God's authority. They tend to like to do things their way. God's work is not primarily going to happen through these guys. It will happen in spite of them. God may use them. Ultimately, they answer to God. We have to be careful of our nationalism, of feeling good about being part of a particular nation and concluding, therefore, we are God's blessed people. We are the chosen ones. Now, I'm Australian, born and bred, five generations at least. I love being Australian. I love being at the cricket, you know, the green and the gold and the Australian flag, the Olympics and all that stuff. I want to see Australia do well on the global scene. But some of what Australia does on the world scene is deeply disturbing from a Christian perspective. What we do with asylum seekers in the name of border security, I think, is disgraceful. We behave like the beasts of the Bible when it comes to our authority. We are the, the legacy of European colonialism. That is what the Australian society is. Uh, the painful journey of the first Australians. This nation has behaved like a beast in its policies. God does not bless that sort of thing. He condemns it. That's not to say there's nothing good about Australia or that God has not been involved. But we have to realize the limitations of God's blessing. We have to be careful our sense of national pride and patriotism doesn't lead us to defend policies or practices that are as bad as anything that Rome ever came up with. God is not on the side of the beasts. He allows them to exist, but they will be brought to account. God's people are called not to be uncritical supporters of any particular empire, but to shine as lights with a different set of values. Values drawn from the story of the Bible and particularly from the teachings of Jesus. So you might say, maybe it's just the Old Testament that's like that. This is the New Testament. And you realize the book of Revelation particularly is very heavily dependent on the book of Daniel. Uh, This is Revelation 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads. We've heard that before. With ten diadems on its horns and a blasphemous names on its heads. The beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's. Where have we heard that before? Isn't that exactly what Daniel's talking about? Uh, And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. The leopard, the bear, the lion, it's all there. And this is the dragon is the one giving authority to this final beast. I think the Bible does point us towards an ultimate beast, an ultimate empire, a final manifestation of human authority that will embody all the desire for power, uh, the rebelliousness against God, the preparedness to conquer and dominate others, and it will be inspired by the devil himself. I think the Bible leads us towards that conclusion. I don't know when that's going to happen. History is filled with that sort of thing. Empires have become cruel. They've dominated others all through human history. But we should know that. We should realize that this happens again and again in history. Let's hear what God is doing while that beast is actually, this final beast is actually um, having its reign. 
It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of, the li- book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an, has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. That's not a word of encouragement to say that everything is going to be rosy in this life. The saints are called to persevere and trust despite the circumstances of this world. Look at the history of the church. In many places around the world now and through history, this has been the case. We should beware of reading the Bible only through the eyes of a safe Western democratic reality that we live in. For many believers, that is not the case and has not been the case through history. The empires and nations of the world sometimes bring great blessing into the world, but often they resist God and his purposes. They become beastly, even monstrous. But just like in the Old Testament, God is still at work. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. God's people are kept safe by him, regardless of what the empires of the world are doing. The beasts may wreak havoc. Life may become difficult, even impossible for God's people. There is a temptation to stress, to fear, to despair. Remember our initial vision. But if we will look up, we will see what God is doing. He has established his king. He is building his kingdom He will bring all things to account. There's no promise that the lives of God's people will be easy, but there is the promise that our future is secure. They may struggle, but God is with them. They will see the victory. Our lives may not be easy, but we don't have to be afraid. We have to keep what God is doing in the front of our minds. In death, Jesus defeats sin and covers shame in resurrection he banishes fear and brings new life god has raised him to his right hand this is the king that one day will return and put an end to all these empires regardless of what the beasts and the dragon and all of those do now god is working his plans He will win the victory. He is secure. His kingdom is established. And his people can trust him in that. We can be free of fear and confident of the future because God is on the throne, because Jesus has died and is risen. And one day, the complete victory will be won. And God will restore all things to his perfect order. Let's pray. Father, even as uh, it's a bit scary 
to read about these things. But I thank you for the comfort that it brings for those who are struggling. For those who are being rejected, for those who are being persecuted for their faith, for those who are being excluded. And that's happened so many times in history. Lord, I ask that we might continue to know that you are on the throne. That that river of fire that comes out from you in the vision continues to pour forth. That all of history stands before you. That you are sovereign. And that you have established your king. That even Jesus in his death, his humiliation, his shame, Lord, you have raised him up. You've established him as king. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that you will return. That you will win the victory. That all nations will bow. That all kingdoms will come. Lord, let our hearts now be put at rest. Because you are in control. Grant us, when we are afraid, to see you. To know your work, which will not be destroyed which will not come to nothing, but every good plan of yours will come to pass. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of salvation, for the security that comes for us because we are your children. Grant us freedom from fear. Let us live in the light of your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.